Thank you for tuning in to Southmore Church's weekly podcast. We hope that you find it as a source of encouragement, inspiration, and it's an added piece of your library that you use to grow in your faith and walk with God. We hope that you tune in every week, that you subscribe, and you leave us a comment of how these uh, scriptures and these sermons inspire you and equip you and empower you to live out the life that God's given you. Thanks for supporting this ministry, and we hope we can see you sometime in service. God bless you. and praise God. Amen. Let's let's open up the word today to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13 is where we're going to camp. And while you're flipping there, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Now, God, thank you for this time we get to gather under your word. May you use me to speak truth to everyone in this room. May you reveal wisdom and guidance for all of us that we may be transformed and walk out different and be able to work in your world and build your kingdom and bring those to know you, Jesus, in this time. We thank you for being in this time, Lord, that we get to be the people of God. Bless this time as we worship you through our word and we open it up. Amen. All right. So we're kicking off our Lent series. I know Lent for some is like, what are you giving up? <laughs> oh, I'm going to give up my, my dad. I remember growing up, we kind of grew kind of up in a Christian home in a way. We didn't really practice that much, but he would say, you know, I'm giving up fish. And I was like, Dad, you don't really eat fish. So it was like really easy, right? <laughs> it was like, so we all kind of get in this place of Lent where it's like, what am I going to give up? And I, Pastor Mike, I got a good point. I love that posture. Like, let's give up that bad posture. But we're going to talk more about this. And Lent is really this season that we're mimicking what Jesus did in the wilderness. You see, Jesus, before he started all his ministry, he went into the desert for 40 days. And he fasted. From everything, he did a super fast. He had no food and no water. On top of that, he was tempted by Satan himself three times. And he overcame each time, amen? I'm not going to break that down with you. Go into the scriptures and read about that powerful moment when Jesus overcame those temptations as he was starving. And he said, hey, just make these rocks bread. And Jesus could have made them bread. He could have made the most delicious bread in the world. And right there he said, no, we live on the word of God. So we get to live in this place of Lent and mimic the wilderness experiment, experience, if you will. And then where's another 40 in the Bible? There's another 40 in the Bible. And that's the 40 years of the Israelites, right? They wandered the desert for 40 years. And it wasn't a waste of time. They went in a circle. It seems like a waste of time. But God was preparing his people in that time. So Lent is really about preparation. It's all about preparing our hearts in our bodies, and our minds, and we're also reflecting on two things, really. We're, we're reflecting on the fact that sin leads to death. That separation from God, without Jesus Christ, we are dead physically, and we are completely set apart from him. And then on the other hand, we get to see Jesus as this resurrection power, and we look to the cross. And we get to be in this posture, in this place of grief and sorrow and hope and joy. Let all those emotions come about in you in this Lent season as it brings transformation in your life. And so when you're changing your posture this week, may you realize the magnitude of sin, but the hope in Christ Jesus our Lord, and your posture will change naturally. So it's not just about giving up things. 
It's a preparation. We are in the 40 days, if you will, with Jesus. We're in those 40 years. I don't want to walk around the desert for 40 years. I know none of us would like that, right? Unless you live in Arizona. <laughs> have some friends in Arizona walking around the desert for 40 years. We are being prepared for Easter. And so let's take this posture as we go through this series. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to talk about a little bit about something called authority. So I want to ask you a question. Who do you allow to speak into your life? Who is somebody that just says something to you and you follow through? You're just like, yep, you're right, Grandma. You're right, Grandpa. You know, Mom, Dad, you're right. Uh, brother, sister, friend. Who is it in your life that you're like, how high I'm jumping? You know, I will do it. Think about that. Reflect on that. Who is that that has authority in your life? It brings a story to mind. I, I once was uh, under the teaching of a chaplain, and he worked for the CHP. And he was telling me, uh, actually, CHP, and he also worked for the police department. He was telling me a story about how he got to do a ride-along with a canine unit. And the canine units are so cute, right? The German Shepherds. I saw one at in and out the other day with the cop going through the line. So cute. He's getting his double-double, this dog. But anyways, th these German Shepherds are trained to be on command, right? Like, you just say the command, and they go. And he was telling the story about how he was talking about his trip to the dentist, kind of random. He's talking about his trip to the dentist with the with the commanding officer or the, the K-9 unit's leader, and he said the word floss. And floss is the word for attack to the German shepherds. That German shepherd instantly started getting ready to attack <laughs> the chaplain. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Luckily, he was able to command him to stop. So if you're ever by a K-9 unit, do not talk about flossing, okay? That's the lesson. But <laughs> there's authority there in these German shepherds. And so they can follow on command. And here we see this kind of moment of authority. The book of Matthew really speaking to who Jesus is and his character to God's people, the Israelites, but it's speaking to us this morning. So as we open it up, let's go ahead and come into that posture. So Jesus, when he, in verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. Suffering, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, have many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. You see, Jesus marvels at the centurion's faith in this moment. He says, I've never, ever seen anything like this of all of Israel. The centurion, by the way, is not one of God's Israelite chosen people. And he's in a very odd place in Capernaum. He wouldn't really be around in this time. Just give me some context. He wouldn't be in this area at this time. And he was a legionary. He was in charge of over 100 soldiers, hence centurion. He would be able to command any of them, and they would do exactly what he said. And here Jesus says, I have not seen anyone have faith like this. There's something to be said here. 
there is some kind of example here that's being laid out. There is an authority here. Because did you notice that the centurion said this? I am a man under authority like you. I have authority. And he's saying, Jesus, you have authority over me. We don't know the story of the centurion. Like if he followed Jesus this whole time or if he heard it from someone else. We don't know that. But we do know that he placed himself in surrender before Jesus in this moment. That he said, you have authority, Lord. You see, Jesus always taught with authority. In Matthew, just the chapter before, give you some context here. In verse 29, chapter 7, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus had this authority about him. In fact, at the very end of the gospel, Matthew 28, before the Great Commission, something we talk about often in the church, right? Jesus says these very important words in verse 18, chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus has authority. It's been bestowed upon him by the Heavenly Father. And his call into our lives is this great commission. And as we look at authority in our own lives and what it means to follow Jesus in obedience during this Lent season, it's where we're going to land. But here's the thing. We don't like to follow authority, do we? When someone tells you to do something, what's the first thing you do? No. What's the first thing a kid does when you say, hey, kiddo, can you clean your room? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. No. Is that what you guys say? No. <laughs> no. That's not what they say. They say, no. Kids just shout it out. No, no, no. It's the first words that come out of a kid's mouth, right? My first word was cookie. And then no. <laughs> but we all say no to authority often. And authority could be something that is distrusted at first, right? And ever since when we're children, we kind of learn this healthy thing, by the way. Parents are like, how is that healthy? It's actually healthy. It's called individuation. If you look at the psychology word, how a child, a child develops. They're actually starting to become their own person <laughs> when they're two and three. No, 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 no. They can't be their own person yet. <laughs> they do. When they're two or three, they start growing up, and they start to learn to say no. So when a child says no to you, if you have a young one, take a deep breath and say, I want them to say yes, but thank you, God. You're developing them healthy. <laughs> you can say that because they are. They're healthy. And you know what kids need, though? They need authority. They need it. In fact, the two most important things kids need is to know that they're safe and that they are loved. Those are the two key things. Tiffany and I work in this foster care world a lot, and that's a huge thing. It's all about making sure that foster child has safety and is loved, that they could know they could come to a home where they could shout no and they still will be hugged, that they will still be welcomed. And, if it, and it's a hard role, and I appreciate all those foster parents out there that do this hard work, because it is hard to love someone who rejects you, even let alone our own kids. But we got to know they need authority. If I let my kids just eat whatever they want, for example, we would literally have In-N-Out and pizza every day. I probably, if, actually, authority myself, too, I probably would eat it every day. <laughs> but, you know, they would get really unhealthy quickly. And if I let them do whatever they would like, man, they love Nintendo right now. 
<laughs> they would just play Nintendo nonstop. They would be so out of shape, it would not look good, right? So they, we need authority in our lives. And as children, we need that secure attachment, that secure base, a safe and loving home for a child. And I think as adults, if you don't even have children, we need a safe and nurturing place, a secure base to go to, right? Think about it. In your life, maybe it was your mom or your dad. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you had a hard raise, uh, raising up. But you had someone that you went to that was that secure base that you could go to and be like, I know you love me, and I know I'm safe here. God wants to be that secure base for you. And it's through his authority that he wants that. It's not a, hey, this is why you do this, and it's because I'm Jesus and I say so. This is, I love you, and I know what's best for you. And that is safety and security and grace. So it's easy to pick on kids in this scenario, but man, we also, as adults, hate authority, right? But it's something that we need to have in our lives. Uh, think about um, police officers. I know it's maybe a sore subject right now, but police officers or firefighters, those that we've put in the politicians, I dare I say that. <laughs> but there's people who are leaders in our lives that we really look to as authority figures, and even that's being broken right now, right? Even some distrust in that. I'm not here to preach about that today, but I'm here to talk about the fact that authority is needed in our lives as human beings, right? If a, if a, a firefighter came to your house, he said, say you had some weird gas going on in your house that you smell, and you're like, and you call the fire department, and they come to your house, and the firefighter's like, get out of the house, it's gonna blow up. Would you say, no, I don't believe you. Get out of my house. You, be, you would run out of the house, right? This guy has built a relationship. He's a firefighter. He knows what he's talking about. You would follow that authority. And so I really want to break down here, Matthew, this moment with the centurion, because he sees that Jesus is authoritative in his life, that he has all he needs to have a safe and secure relationship, and that he will heal his his servant in this case, what he asked for. So how does someone attain authority? I think it's kind of like that firefighter example. It's bestowed upon someone, right? The firefighter has been given the right to be a firefighter <laughs> and help those who are in need in those situations. And Jesus also has been, his authority has been bestowed upon him, as we just read in Matthew chapter 28. But there is a second thing that I think is very important for us in our faith journey, and it is this. It is in Matthew 8.10, we read this, I'll read it again. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And this word faith is what we translate it, the Bible's been translated over and over again, right? This was not, the, the Bible you're reading right now has been translated many, many, many times. And theologians come together and scholars and they look at the original manuscripts and they break it down. And they try to get it to us in the best way they can. Honestly, this word, though, that was used here for faith is only used a couple times in the New Testament. It's only used a couple times. It's this word, pistis. Sounds funny. <laughs> pistis. And it's idea. It's this conviction of the truth of anything, belief, in the New Testament specifically, of conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things. Generally, with the included idea of trust and a holy fervor born of faith and joined with it. In other words, this trust that this, this faith that the centurion had 
was so solid. It was as solid as the very ground that we're putting our feet on right now. He was in this place of trust where it's like, Jesus is going to heal my servant. It wasn't a, oh, I hope he does. I believe he will. It is beyond, it's like a, that's why he marveled at it. This trust that Jesus saw of the centurion just blew Jesus' mind, literally. The marvel word here is like blew Jesus' mind. How many of you want to blow Jesus' mind? Like, <laughs> like that's what you want to walk out of here. And not just to be like, oh, look at me, I'm all high and mighty, but like you just want to love him and serve him so well that he goes, whoa, you, I am marveling right now at your trust. And this is the second part of how authority is attained. It is earned through trust. You see, uh, the firefighter example is, you know, we trust that it's been bestowed upon him. He's gone through all that training, all that good stuff. But it is in a relationship with Jesus Christ that we begin to trust him. It is by taking steps of faith. But these steps of faith are firm steps. Like, God, I am going to walk into this situation that you've placed me in, and I know you are faithful. That's the kind of trust that builds and leads to obedience. Because there is no authority without obedience, right? Man, I have no authority sometimes with my kids. I'm going to be real. There's times where I say something, and it's just like, nope, Dad. <laughs> and like as a parent, it's easy to have that example. But so maybe if you're a manager at a workplace, and, you're, and you're, the people you manage are like, nope. <laughs> We've all experienced that. There's got to be obedience for there to be authority, right? And there is no obedience without trust. There really is no obedience without trusting in our Savior, that he is who he says he is. And just like that firefighter example, when Jesus says something to you through his word, through prayer and time with him, in the community, it's important to be in community because sometimes God will speak something and it's important to go to somebody and be like, I think God's speaking this to me. And they could be like, you're whack, bro. Or, oh yeah, you're right. That sounds good. Let me pray with you on it in a loving way. Because we do, we need community. We need the word. We need to be together as we listen to God. And then we step out in obedience because we trust him. Just like that firefighter, get out of the house. Jesus says, you need to walk into this relationship and you need to love this person. Are you going to do it? As fast as you would? As strong-willed, like trusting God that much in that scenario? Maybe God's calling you to serve in a certain area that like, you're like, man, I don't know if I could do that. And that's okay, you bring that to Christ. But here's the thing, is he the authority? Do you trust him enough to, that he knows the right path? That you have this marveling faith as the centurion had. As believers, why don't we listen to Jesus' authority at times? And I ask this of myself. Every time I'm developing a message, I'm learning and growing. It's so wonderful to be able to share it with you. That's why I love preaching. It's like, man, I'm just teaching you what I'm learning right now, and I'm walking through. As believers, why don't we listen to Jesus' authority at times? I think we are confused or unsure if it is him speaking. We get in this place of confusion, like, God, is this you? Is this, is this right? And it's unsure. And here's what you need to do to combat that. You need to study the word of God. You need to be in the scriptures because the scriptures don't have an answer for your exact work scenario right now. 
but they have the principle, they have exactly what you need to get through that situation. The scriptures have exactly what you need to understand what he's speaking. And as you pray, and as you seek through the word of God, you will never be led astray. And they connect with other believers. And the second thing, I don't think we trust. We simply do not trust God sometimes. Stepping this trusting him today is your first step. And if it's for the first time or you're rededicating your Lord, as we, Pastor Mike got to lead us through some rededications, we had eight plus people rededicate their lives to the Lord last Sunday. Let's praise God for that. Like, that is the first step. That is trusting that he is Lord, that Jesus Christ will heal and restore your relationship and that there is no more sin in your life that he's eradicated it and you have a new life. So we simply need to trust him. And it's simple in that we trust him. Walking it out is a different story. (laughs) That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where following Jesus gets rough. It's not rough because he's faithful on his end. Honestly, it's usually us. That is like questioning and doubting. We need to trust him like the centurion. And then my next question is, why should we respond in obedience to Jesus? He truly knows what is best. He created us after all. He knows exactly what's best for us. Man, just like your parents might have known, your parents might have thought they knew what was best for you, which they may not, (laughs) because we're human. Man, take that, magnify it by a hundredfold. Like Jesus is the one who created you. In Ephesians, you read that truth that you've been created by God with a purpose in mind. He knows what's best. And the next thing is it builds trust. So when you start to respond in obedience, maybe it's something small at first, you're going to build that trust muscle with Jesus. You're going to continue to walk with him. And we could do that in this Lent season. I think a great example of this is if you have roommates or or you're married, and say your spouse or your roommate says, I'm making dinner tonight. Like, I'm going to make dinner tonight. I got it. You're like, okay. Do you go ahead and start thinking plan B? Like, man, I need to get, I need to get some fast food tonight. Because <laughs> I don't know if this is going to happen. Or are you like, yeah, I can't wait for dinner. My roommate's making it. My spouse is going to make it. It's going to rock. I can't wait. Oh, I can just leave that and that's gone. That's a super tiny example on the magnitude of what God does in your life. Like, can you go to Jesus and be like, I trust you're going to make dinner, Lord. <laughs> I trust you're going to make dinner. And, you, and then all of a sudden you start doing all these things to make dinner. Are you following me? We get into this place where we start following our own path. And we start saying, you know what? I don't really, you're basically, and I've done this, I've been doing this. This is something I've been working through over this last few months. Lord, I don't trust you. And I had to say that. And I had to break down in a moment and say, I don't trust you. And maybe that's where you need to start. I really don't trust you're going to make dinner. I keep going down to the dinner example. Lord, I don't trust you that you're going to bring me through this situation, that this specific moment that I'm going through. And if you could get to that broken place and you could repent and turn from that, and you could face Jesus and say, I am going to trust you. You are going to follow through. As the centurion did, there's transformation. So trust Jesus is making dinner tonight. (laughs) that's the lesson trust that he's going to provide through the scenario you're in right now and man he's going to marvel at that he's going to marvel at that faith 
And if it's a baby step, it's a baby step. It is marveling in God's eyes. Because this was a servant of a centurion who had 100 soldiers at his legion. And the centurion loves this servant so much that he risked it to go see Jesus and place all authority in his hands. May we do that today. I think our own relationships in life influence our view and how we react to authority. Amen? Amen. Our parents, our uh, grandparents, our teachers, our coaches, managers, all these different areas and people in our lives all shape our view of authority. Say you had a mom or dad, and I've been this dad at times, that just said, do it or I'm grounding you. <laughs> or do it because I said so, right? <laughs> that, that's going to be your view of authority. And you might view God that way. You might feel, okay, I'm, God says to do this, and I'm doing it. I don't think there's anything unhealthy with that, like following God because you know he's your authority. But what I'm saying is, like, you, if you really, in your heart of hearts, like, really believe Christ is Lord, and you have that relationship with him, and you know that he knows what's best for you, it's no longer Jesus saying, Pastor Ricardo, go do this just because I said so. It's a man, I know what, he, he knows what's best for me. He's built that relationship with me through prayer and time with him. It's the same thing. We can mimic this into our relationships with our families, right? We could do this. We can make a safe and loving home. If you're a parent right now, you could start doing this. If you're in a roommate situation, if, you're, if you have brothers and sisters, your mom and your dad, whoever your family relationship is, start there. In this church, we could start to model that. Let's make this church a safe and loving place where we could come together in our brokenness and that we could be wrapped around each other and we could learn to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. And this takes time. If you have teenagers, man, teenagers. <laughs> I'll look over here. I don't have teenagers, so I don't know yet. Huh? Who, has, who here has teenagers, has gone through teenagers? Man, God bless you guys. I'm looking for your advice. But there's something beautiful. I've been learning because I'm going to school to become a counselor right now. So I'm learning from an outside perspective what it's like to raise a teenager. Some good things. One of the things you could do to earn authority with the, I'm giving you some free parenting advice, but it's for you and Jesus. It's for more for your relationship with Jesus, if you will. I really think the family model is the image of our relationship with God, right? I think it's like that picture. And so our marriage is like that relationship to the church, of Christ is to the church, and our raising of our kids. It, God made it perfect, right? He made our families, he put it right there, our family's not perfect, that's all I'm saying. But our families get to be this place where we get to see our relationship with God and get to live it out. But one of the things you could do with your teenagers is begin to do, this word is big, negotiate. And a healthy kind of negotiating. You could start talking to him about, so I, I, I want to go, go out tonight till 11, mom and dad. I want to go out tonight till 11, 10 or 11 with my friends. Okay, tell me why you want to do that. Like, what, what is the reason, you know? Get into a conversation. Because the first thing you do, and I'm not going to go super deep into this, first thing we do as parents is just like, no, I've already told you you can only go out till nine. <laughs> but in those small moments, you can start to build the relationship. And you can start to teach them to make their own decisions and wisdom. I think, what do you think is 11 o'clock at night? What do you think is good that happens outside at 11, you know? Like, what, what kind of things happen? Start talking about it. Talk through these things. Build a relationship. And like, let's make it, you know, we're going to work on this together. We're a team. We're a team. It's a team mentality because you are, as a family, a team. 
And as your kids grow, I'm trying to model this with my young ones, and it's hard. I'm learning. But trying to learn how to do that. And so in our relationship with Christ, it's, again, that trust relationship, that we are building a relationship with him, that God is speaking to us through his word and saying, this is why, and this is why this is best for you. So Jesus has does have the authority, and you hold the obedience factor. And that obedience factor, following Jesus, is built on trust. It is built on the foundation of trusting Jesus Christ. And I'm going to throw up an image. It's kind of old school. For some of us, it's been in part of this church for a long time. But I like it. It's a good one. I'm going to walk through it a little bit. It'll be on the screen here. And I also printed these guys out. They're out on our Get Connected wall. And it's, um, it shows the three. I'll talk through all three of them. So you can grab it on your way out of out today, and it has a couple reflection questions which I'll talk about. But first one is a self-directed life. It's this idea that self is on the throne of your life, and that Jesus isn't really uh, is outside of your life. I want to say something here, though, a theological uh, point of the Nazarene church and how we see the scriptures and view them. We really believe that God is already working in the lives of us before we accept him. Some, some different denominations don't agree with that, which is okay. I'm totally cool with that. It's something called provenient grace. It's this idea that God's spirit draws us. He draws us and leads us into repentance. And there's some good scripture and evidence of that. And so I want to say that in the self-directed life, God is still knocking at your door, right? I think we could all agree on that at least. That God at some point in your life, you saw that he was faithful to you before you even accepted him. Can you say that? Have you seen God working in your life before you accepted him? It's pretty cool stuff, right? So that's, I want to say that that doesn't mean like, okay, God is not there at all. This is more like you are the one on the throne. So maybe you noticed God a little bit, but you were like, yep, yeah, sit down, God. <laughs> and you were just like rejected him. And that's, that's where that one is, is Jesus is outside the life and your interests are directed by self. And then they often, honestly, if you ask yourself, lead to frustration. When you live out of a self-directed life, it leads to to absolute chaos and frustration. Christ-directed life. Now, that is the target. I'll talk about that last. The next one is the what I kind of wrote up. It's the Christ kind of, sort of, directed life. <laughs> uh, nice title there, right? I'm so creative with that. Self is on the throne, and Jesus is in the life, but your interests are mainly directed by yourself. So it's like you have salvation. Like we believe that no one can strip that salvation from you. Romans 10 says, if you should confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he died on the cross for your sins, if you believe that, that's, that's there. That's something you can't ever be taken away. You've got to believe that and trust that. But we definitely as Christians, and I've been here, can live a kind of Christ kind of sordid directed life. And this is where self is on the throne, Jesus is in the life, but if you ask yourself honestly, and this is the reflection piece of what I want us to do in Lent, and I'm doing this too, is to ask ourselves, is Jesus on the throne here? Is he the one that's driving my life and my, and my behavior? Rather than living in a place of my behavior, change my behavior to change who I am, let's live in a place of Jesus Christ as our identity and who, who he is in our lives and the salvation we receive and live out of that. And he is the one on the throne. And then if you ask yourself, is it interests are mainly directed by self? And all of us, I believe, have fallen in these areas, right? 
as believers. And it's not, this is not black and white, like, okay, you're in the Christ-directed life right now, you're in the self-directed life right now. This is not to beat each other up. This is for you and God and God alone to talk through. Because even if you did it with brothers and sisters, you know what we're going to do? We try to put on our best selves when we're around people, don't we? That's, that's healthy. It's a good thing. It's okay to do it. That's why you got to talk to God, because God is the friend that's going to love you through it, and he's going to say, look, man, you're kind of living a Christ kind of sordid life, and he's the one you're going to listen to. <laughs> so you need to ask yourself, is the Christ-directed life, and maybe you're in this place right now, too, in the Christ-directed life, is Jesus in the life and on the throne, and that all of our interests in self is yielding to who Jesus is. And our interests are directed by Jesus. And this results in harmony with God. This results in harmony with God. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul wrote these words. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. That means dead with Christ. I have died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, right before you, here and now, in the flesh, Paul was saying right here, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. This is the Christ-directed life. And if we could wake up each day and we could say Galatians 2.20 to ourselves and say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Here's the cool thing that happens. Sometimes we view this verse, I know I have, and it's like, okay, Pastor Ricardo or Ricardo, Ricardo, you're no longer Ricardo. No, I am Ricardo, <laughs> but I have died to myself, and I'm living for Christ. My personality, who I am, my past, my circumstances, all the things God's done in my life is very much alive still. But God has redeemed it all, and I get to live out of that place. That is giving the authority to Jesus Christ. And so as I encourage you to go back there and grab this little handout or just write these questions down to reflect on Lent. It just ask this question, Lord, during this Lent season, and I'm going to have us just have a quiet reflection time in a moment, and then we'll have a little bit of worship. And we are also feeling led to pray. We're going to open up the altar to pray. and We'll have some leaders up here to pray for you too um, as we begin to wrap up. But ask these questions. Lord, during this Lent season, reveal where I need to give you authority in my life. Lord, during this Lent season, reveal where I need to give you authority in my life. And the next is, what practical steps can I take to give you the authority? And that could be time and prayer. That could be studying the Word of God. That could be turning away from a specific sin, maybe. It could be in entering into community. It could be serving. And it could be trusting in a specific situation. Those are just some practical ones I want to give you. And God will reveal that to you. So as we close and as we pray, I want us to focus in on Galatians 2.20. And, and in this place, the centurion took this, he laid out everything on the line here. And he said, look, I know you'll just go heal my servant by your words. I know you will heal my servant because you are a man of authority. And may we live out of that trust. And God marvel out of that in this Lent season as a church. Amen? And guess what? God is going to marvel at you as you work through this. And even more, not even more importantly, just as importantly, people are going to marvel. 
people in your life are going to marvel, and they're going to see what God is doing in your life, and you get to share the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that is what this world needs right now. We know that. We, we, we know it's not a vaccine. We know it's not perfect politicians. We know it's not perfect uh, bank accounts, jobs, careers, homes. We know the only thing we really need in this life is Jesus Christ. When we can live out of that place, everything else will overflow. Those are Jesus' words. He said, do not worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow, but worry about today that you are mine. Now I provide even the lilies. They're covered. God, thank you. As we enter in this Lent season, may we look to the cross and realize that we need you, Jesus, and that we no longer live, but is you in us. And as we place you on the throne, may everything else flow out of that, Lord. All our decisions, our behaviors, our lives, our walk, our relationships, everything else will come into harmony of what you've called us to, God. And we know it's not going to be easy. So, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to empower us. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you are in us. And you will guide us in this time. Jesus, as we reflect and as we come up and pray and, and close in worship, may we relinquish authority and give it all to you, Lord Jesus, as we trust you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this is going to be just a quiet moment for a few minutes. I like awkward silences. I'm weird like that. <laughs> but it's good to sit in silence. So let's sit in silence for a moment. You might hear a kid scream. That's great. <laughs> That'll be sick. But let's go ahead and sit in silence and let's reflect on this. Like, where am I in the authority of Christ in my life? And then let's go ahead and come up and pray. We'll have, we'll have the leaders up here as we worship and close out to pray over each other. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me.
I invite the worship team up now to close us out and go ahead and again we have leaders up at the altar you can come here and we'll pray with you you can pray right where you're at but we'd love to pray for you Jessica's over here we'd love to pray with you and Micah's going to come over and pray and I'll be down here too as we close out We hope that you found this sermon encouraging, inspiring, and something that you are going to be chewing on for a while. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at southportchurchonline.com and you can leave us a comment. And we ask that you subscribe and share and allow this ministry to continue to expand to wherever God is leading it. We pray that you are blessed and remember to love, grow, and serve.